Just as we stand, let's pray together. <clears throat> God, our Father, we pray that these next few moments might really count for us. Uh, put a spotlight, we pray, on the Lord Jesus so that we'll see him and love him more. Give us a hunger, Lord, and a thirst for him so that even as we receive him, word just now and then bread and wine in a few moments, he might be more precious to us than food or drink, clothes and comfort, shelter or warmth, health or wealth, all of those things could pass away. So long as we have you, Lord Jesus, you are more than enough. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Please do take a seat. Uh, Wonderful, great to be together, so good to worship the Lord together and lift our voices in song to God. Um, we are here in person, we're here online. If you're joining us online, very good to see you too, or if you're catching up later in the week, uh, good to have you on board. There are Bibles available and they'll come round. Uh, Lucy's going to bring Bibles round. If you want to have a look at the Scriptures, have it in front of you on the page. We're looking at Acts 4 in just a moment, it's on page 1000 and 96 in the church bibles 101096 it's acts 4 23 to 31 this is all leading us to communion this is where we're coming in this service we're going to be thinking together about uh, what happened in those early christian believers right after the resurrection and then we'll come and receive the lord jesus bread and wine in just a moment but the question i suppose just before we read the bible together the question we're asking this morning is uh, what kind, and, and in fact, the whole series, the whole series has been about the global gospel. This is what happened all those years ago in Jerusalem, in the center of that, that spot in the Middle East there, a couple of thousand years ago. Something happened that took the, the world by storm. A group, a very small group of Christian men and women uh, with the great truth of Jesus and his victory over death um, took the Christian faith around the world and it's interesting to go back to the origin stories i don't know if you're interested in origin stories of like um like big tech companies uh when you watch these documentaries about facebook or google it generally starts out with a couple of nerds in a garage somewhere working some things out all of a sudden almost overnight they've got a global business they're multi-millionaires and you sort of it's nice to go back and find out well what were you doing what were you eating you know people even go into their diet what kind of things were there what was their exercise regime what kind of things did they do in their spare time what was it that made these people tick and produce such world-changing ideas. Well, if that's true for, like, tech companies, how much more for the deeper realities of the world and the work and person of the Lord Jesus? So that's what we're doing. Acts is like the origin story of the resurrection church, the church post-resurrection. So that's what we're looking at. Right, Acts 4, let me read. Uh, we're going to read a few verses from verse 23. This is picking up on the story, if you remember from last week, uh, June told us the story of those disciples, Peter and John, who'd healed a, a man who was born lame from birth. He was 40-odd, wasn't he? And he's been miraculously healed, but the authorities aren't cool with that, and they're forcing them to stop speaking in Jesus' name. They keep them. They keep them in uh, custody for a while, but we're picking it up from their release. This is verse 23. So verse 23, on their release, 
Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And you said this, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're going to think about a bunch of things. Um, we're going to just thinking, thinking a little bit about what was making these Christian people tick. What were they like? Getting, just get into a few things in this passage. Uh, and along the way, we might see some other details in here, first of all. But let's start with this. Number one, let me start with this point. Here we have some Christian people, Peter and John, and evidently some of the other disciples as well, who had a commitment and a service and a love for the Lord come what may, no matter what. So just going back to verse three, let me just point out a few things that had happened to these guys. Verse three, this is earlier in the chapter, Peter and John seized and put in jail. Verse seven, brought before the authorities for questioning. Verse 18, given an injunction, like given an in court, like a court injunction, do not speak at all, it says, not at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 21, they faced threats and further punishments. So the kind of Christian life these, these guys, these early disciples were living were um, so affected by meeting the risen Jesus, that they were going to speak about him and live for him, whether that goes well for them or whether that goes badly for them. See that? Whether it goes well and all is well and all is fine and they're happy and things are going great, or whether it doesn't. These guys were world changers not consumers. They were servants of the Lord rather than consumers. So they didn't think of their Christian faith much like we think we can think of Woolworths. Do you remember Woolworths? It wasn't a few, it was just a few years ago, but I'm guessing people remember Woolworths. At, when Woolworths went out of business, everyone was like, oh, that's sad, isn't it? I used to like the pick and mix. You know, that was basically it. <laughs> Just the thick of it. 
or like it was a bit of an indoor market. There was bits and bobs of everything. You know, you could generally go in there and get most things. And so people are like, oh, it's a pity. But the truth of the matter is that no one was going there. No one really cared that much about it. They were doing their shopping on Amazon or going to the other stores. And so actually, no one really cares about Woolworths. It wasn't actually fitting, wasn't meeting their needs. And so we don't go there anymore. Now, a similar approach might be found in our hearts that actually the church, Jesus, his ways, his words, in so much as they kind of are working and I like it and I feel quite sentimental about it, well, great. But the moment it actually doesn't, then really and truly, I might, I might say nice things about him and I might say nice things about church, but I'm going elsewhere. And it's a bit like Woolworths. Oh yeah, I did like it. I did like it. It was useful, you know, pick and mix. But in the end, wasn't that bothered. Wasn't that bothered. And it doesn't, it doesn't really, you see the difference? These, these disciples that we're looking at here, they're like, no, no, no. We will serve the Lord Jesus whatever, like no matter what. Just think, um, and it was just a completely different mindset. Think about the disciples. I'm, I'm going, I'm riffing on um, Romans Fest. I haven't spoken about Romans Fest for ages, but uh, I'm just nicking one of Paul Blackham's ideas from the other week. Imagine those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? Cleopas and the other disciple, maybe his wife, they're walking home they're going out of Jerusalem, they're going home. They think it's kind of over because this is Jesus has just died on the cross. They think it's all over. So they're kind of returning to normal life, right? Then they meet the risen Jesus. He comes alongside them. They're talking together. Jesus is sharing from the Bible who he was and like everything that he'd done and how it was all sort of laid out there in, the, in Moses and the prophets. And then do you remember they sit down and Jesus breaks bread and they're like, oh, and they have this moment of, of realization. We have met the risen Jesus. And so they go straight back to Jerusalem. They had, you know, they've met someone who's conquered death. And so they head straight back to Jerusalem. Now, I just want you to imagine you're, you meet them on the road as they're coming back now to Jerusalem. Right. Just imagine a conversation with them right there and then. You might have been talking to them about, oh, how's the new house going? How's it going with the house purchase? I know you're trying to buy a gaff down there. How did that go? Has that gone through? Have you got exchange on it? Whatever. Or you might, you might talk about, what, I gather you were going to Athens on a holiday. How's that, has that lined up? And all of those things, all of those things, whatever you wanted to mention to them on that day would have been, wouldn't it? Completely immaterial. Oh, yeah, 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 the house, yeah. Or the holiday, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me, t let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. We met the risen Jesus. And it's changed the world. And it's changed our whole lives. Everything else, all the other things in life would have been like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing the house, yeah, yeah. We'll probably go on holiday, whatever. Whatever. But this changes everything. That was their mindset. That was their mindset. Come what may, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus has overcome death. We're going to take that message to the world. Come what may. It's that important. 
It was that important to them. It's a bit like, um, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Remember that one? So sort of an Old Testament version of this is a group of guys, a dodgy king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wants them all to worship him. They're like, nah, we won't do that. So he's like, well, I'm going to put you in a massive furnace. So they say, and I quote, this is what they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Get this though. But even if he doesn't, We want you to know this, your majesty. We will not serve you or your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. See that? We know the Lord might save us from the fire. He's got, he's perfectly capable to do that. He might deliver us from this terrible trial. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him and not you. That's powerful, isn't it? Come what may. Here we're talking about a Christian people, a people, worshippers who worship the Lord, come what may. Even if my life is horrible and really bad and I'm about to be thrown into a furnace, not a nice way to die. They're like, no, we're still not going to serve you because we trust him. Powerful, isn't it? So this is the kind of commitment to the Lord Jesus we're seeing in the book of Acts. Let's look at a second thing. Second thing about this, uh, this little passage, this is the kind of context Peter and John uh, boldly stepping forward despite the cost. Second thing, here's a people, much of the reading that we had this morning was a prayer. So I just want to notice the prayer. Look at how these believers pray. They pray like they really do know the Lord personally. And I want to just get underneath that for a minute. This is the prayer. Just let's read it again. This is from verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together. I don't know whether they're in a room much like this. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote, Psalm 2, it's a portion of their scriptures and our scriptures. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They continue, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate. So they're like, you know, those guys, Herod, Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles, together with the people of this city, conspired against Jesus and fulfilled what you said would happen in that sense. Jesus, whom you anointed, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So up to this point, quite a long prayer here, is just a, they're recanting, they're going through the promises of the Lord, like what he has said, and noting, ah, what you said we have now seen, and then they pray, now Lord, it's just one sentence at the end. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, I want us to think about this prayer, right? It cut, the structure of the prayer is like this. Number one, 
Lord, you have spoken. Like you've told us something. Right? And, we, and they've kind of listed out what the Lord has said. Number two, what you said has come to pass and we've actually seen it. We've seen it with our own eyes. And then number three, they go, therefore, help us, enable us to boldly speak. That's the kind of structure of their prayer. Can you see Eugene Peterson, you know the author of the message? You guys know that Bible, right? Authored by a guy called Eugene Peterson. He called this kind of prayer answering God. That's what he called it. Because they are responding to words that God has said to them and they're responding to God in prayer. So quite often, here's a little illustration. Quite often in prayer, we, we think or we might imagine, we'll probably never say it like this, but we might imagine that we're kind of speaking to, a, to a, like a toddler, right? Because, because we pray and we kind of hope that we might get some sort of response back. Do you ever speak to a toddler? When you're like, you know, who's barely getting their words out, you sort of say, oh, hi, how's it going? What's it? Are you okay? Yeah, go on, what's your name? You never quite know whether they're just going to run away <laughs> or answer back or, or just mumble something at you, right? Say something incoherent to you back, like, uh, you know, like the kind of thing that toddlers say. Similarly, similarly our, appro- our approach to prayer can sometimes be a bit of a hit and hope. I'm going to say some stuff and I really hope that I might get something back. Even if I do, it might be a little confused and I'm not sure what the Lord's saying. Uh, I'm trying to listen out. I'm trying to sort of make out what he's saying to me, but I can't really make it out. It's quite difficult. Almost like we're speaking to a toddler. Here, can you see the difference with the prayer that we're reading here? It, It makes kind of us the toddlers, the spiritual toddlers. And it makes the Lord the one who's spoken with absolute clarity so you think about when a toddler's speaking. They only start to speak, don't they, when they've heard words and speech come to them. So the speech has come to them, and then they start speaking it back. So, you know, you start saying things to a toddler's like, oh, there it is, you know, or where's he gone? And then the toddler goes, where's he gone? Or there is he? They start, start, start echoing it back, don't you? Right? Think of prayer a bit more. Think of prayer a bit more like God speaks to us with absolute clarity. And then we, in our prayers, begin, we're learning, aren't we? We're learning how to speak back, how to answer God, having heard him speak. See that? That's the kind of prayer that they pray as they say, look, Lord, you've said these things. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. They must have got that from Genesis or any number of the Psalms. Then they quote Psalm 2, why do the nations reign and the people's plot in vain? So they're like, you've said these things. Clear as crystal, black and white, super clear. We have now noticed, 
Fancy that. Your word has come to pass. We've seen it. We've witnessed it in the life of Jesus. And then they go, oh, wow. We've seen it happen. So enable us. Enable us to speak boldly, to talk of this Jesus, no matter what it costs us. That's a different way to pray, right? That is a different way to pray. It starts with us trusting the Lord that he's said things. You've said things to us. We can absolutely rely on the things you have spoken with total clarity, utterly clear. There it is. Right? We've, see, we've seen and heard what you've done. We can read it. We can look at it together. Then, in response, we just echo back. Lord, you've said these things. We believe it. Enable us, therefore, to be your people and to serve you. It's probably a better way to think about prayer, right? Now, I'm not doing down, I don't want to do down the kinds of prayers where we are just saying, Look, Lord, uh, I need this and I, you know, I want to pray for these things and I want to pray for my relatives and friends and situations. All of those are biblical prayers, I'm not knocking those prayers for one moment. Quite a good way, though, to think about prayer is I'm a spiritual toddler. I don't know how to speak to you in, in prayer, but I've heard your voice. I've heard you speak to me and I can start speaking back to you what you have said to me and grow and trust you more and more. I'm the spiritual toddler, not I'm praying to a toddler and I'm not quite sure what you're saying to me. I'm the toddler and I'm learning. But these people here at Acts, it's personal, isn't it? It's a personal thing they have heard the Lord and they're like, yep, we've heard it. We've heard him, we're gonna respond. Now it's not, just one more point on this. It's, um, it, it can't be secondhand. You, there may be people in here, or you might know of some people who, um, maybe when you went to college, or when you're a part of a youth group. Um, you were part of a Christian group of friends, maybe, or a part of a little movement at college, or wherever you were. And being part of that was very, very exciting, and you sort of were swept up in it all, and it's all, it's all wonderful, and it, it was exciting, and we were serving the Lord and doing stuff, right? Um, but in many ways, that, that thing, those people... They were kind of carrying you. Um, you felt like whilst I was with these guys, I, I kind of was, I could be carried along. I could be, you know, helped along. I was able to live as a Christian person when I was in that group. Now, I don't want to do that down, but here we see, don't we, people who they know the Lord themselves. Yes, it's wonderful to be with brothers and sisters in the faith, and we do support and love each other, and we hold each other, don't we, as a Christian community? But it's not just that. There is that, there is that difference in the lives of, a, of true believers who's, who have that personal 
relationship with the Lord. I've heard you speak. I've seen you act. And I respond myself. Lord, enable me. So it's worth a check, isn't it? Just, just ask yourself those questions. Am I here or am I sort of a Christian because actually I've just been carried along a little bit? I've been helped and carried? Or am I here? Am I praying? Am I worshipping? Because I've heard the Lord myself and trust him. These guys, their prayer, they know God personally. They know God personally. So there's this commitment, isn't there? What we've seen in these believers, a commitment to God and the gospel. Come what may, it's not a Woolworth-style faith. Come what may, I'll serve you. Number two, they know God personally. They're responding to God like, like eager toddlers. I want to learn how to speak. I want to learn how to pray. Enable me, I trust you. They know God personally. Thirdly and lastly, a people who experience the presence and power of the Spirit of God who makes everything about Jesus very real to them. So this is verse 30. Stretch out your hand, they say. This is their prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So I used to go to a church in London that was regularly shaken. Um, not because of a special spiritual experience, but because it was above the Bakerloo line. And the... Uh, <laughs> So every time an underground train went through, the whole place was... Actually, I had a friend called Will Smith who came to that church with me one time. It was like a big event. We were all singing and worshipping the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Bakerloo line came under. And he was grabbing my arm. He thought it was the rapture. He thought we were all going to be like <laughs> raptured. He was actually white. <laughs> that guy. Will Smith. You're looking, Will. I still remember that. Um, there was, that, was, uh, that was a church in London. When the Lord comes, this is quite often in the Bible, when he comes, there is like a shaking. Um, when you or I, I don't know if this is helpful, uh, if you stand on ice, so if you, you, know, if you find like a, a reasonably large puddle that's iced over, and you stand on it, you produce an ice quake, like it all shatters and ripples out, doesn't it, like that? If you like, think about it, your weight and glory, no offense, your kind of, uh, <laughs> the weight of a human person uh, standing on a sheet of ice produces like an ice quake, and it all ripples out. Now, seems to be, in the scriptures, when the Lord shows up, when he turns out, and the spirit comes amongst God's people, similar sort of things happen, but the earth shakes. Happens when Jesus dies, of course. Happens when he's raised. 
This happens a number of times in the Old Testament as well. And it happens here. A shaking. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now let's just, let's just look at this, this sentence. Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Okay. Because I just want to notice something that's slightly different between um, an emotional high and a feeting, a filling, a meeting with God, the Holy Spirit, who moves in us. Okay, there's a difference. I went to a Coldplay concert in uh, Wembley Arena a few years ago now, and I often refer to it because at this Coldplay concert, especially when we were singing, when that song, Fix You, you know the song? If you try your best, but you don't succeed. Do you remember that one? When that song came on, I promise you, I kid you not, right? That arena had, it was full of people, hands in the air, eyes closed, tears streaming down, right? It was like, it was and it was an incredible experience. I was there. I mean, I love that song anyway. And I was just looking around me at that point thinking, oh my goodness, look at this. It was deep. It was very, very emotional, right? But I'll tell you what didn't happen when everyone left that room. They didn't start sharing their possessions with each other. And they did, yeah. And they did not start speaking out um, like life-changing truths to all the people in London, whether it was going to cost them their lives and imprisonment and everything else or not. The very next thing that happens, the very next thing that happens, right? I didn't read it, but I could do. Uh, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke of the word of God boldly. Verse 32, right? Luke just carries on. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. That is an encounter with the Holy Spirit and not an emotional high. If you come out of a Coldplay concert and start saying, I just want to share my, I want to sell my house and give it to other people and, you know, do things like that, then I will say you've had a genuinely spiritual experience, mate. If, if you come out of church and you've had an emotional high and you walk out those doors and you have no, there's no inclination to, I don't know, use your money, your resources, your time, your efforts, your energies for the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel, you've had an emotional high. Not an encounter with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, things really change in people's lives. And, and the things that we might call real, like money, possessions, uh, our own health and wealth, become much less real because Jesus becomes much more real. And it changes the way you think and it changes the things you do on Monday morning. So I, I, so I certainly don't want to say that an experience of the Spirit is cold and empty and boring and lifeless. That wasn't, clearly was not <laughs> what happened here. If a room was shaken... I don't think it's going to be cold and lifeless and emotionless. I'm not saying it's like we feel things. We do feel things as Christian people. And I certainly felt, I felt it revitalize when we heard the testimonies of people sharing what Jesus had done to their lives on Friday night. Genuinely, 
wow, there I was again. I was like, oh, Lord, glory, amazing. We feel things. I'm not denying there are emotions involved, but you just got to check yourself. Am I at a Coldplay concert where it's not going to produce any change or am I actually receiving the power of the Spirit? And the work of the Spirit here, you notice, um, I think I've used this illustration before, if you walk through a city at night and uh, maybe you sort of come around a corner and you see this uh, beautiful building in front of you, I don't know, maybe the um, Houses of Parliament or something, and you see it sort of lit up, and you're like, oh, wow, what a wonderful, like, the buildings are made, like, it's magisterial, isn't it? All the sort of brickwork and everything. Oh, gosh, I can see it all. Now, what the, what's actually happened is some floodlights, there's actually a whole bank of floodlights, probably, that are sort of shining up on that building, and you're seeing it and going, oh, wow, gosh, what a beautiful, what an amazing building, especially in the sort of the darkness of nighttime, you see, oh, wow, God, amazing. I can suddenly see this building in a way I've never seen it before. Similarly, the Holy Spirit, when the Lord shows up like this, is kind of throwing such a light on Jesus that you see him. It becomes real to you. And it's actually less about the experience It's less about the floodlights. No one's interested in the floodlights when you walk around London, but you see the buildings. It's less about what's actually happening in the room. It's less about the actual moment and more about, I'm seeing things, I'm seeing things in Jesus that I've never seen before. Or it's stuff I've known about Jesus that's going from my head right down into my heart. I I realize now it's actually kind of affecting me That's what John 16 is, by the way. If you just want to see when Jesus talks about the Spirit, that's exactly what he says. I don't know, maybe we'll just read it. John 16, that is exactly what Jesus says about the work of the Spirit there. Um, Let me just give you a little section of it. John 16. Uh, Here we go. John 16 from verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See that? And he goes on there, John 16. He's like, the spirit will come and move a person to see Jesus more clearly or love him more clearly or appreciate him more clearly and in a more heartfelt way so that all of a sudden I want to change. See that? A people who experience the very real presence and power of the Holy Spirit so that they've got no fear of the authorities now. They don't, you know, they don't care now. Authorities could go to prison. Uh, possessions. I'll make that point again. Their, you know, their houses, their money, all becomes less real. See that? As the Spirit comes upon these people, money and possessions become less. They're less bothered. It's a sign of Christian maturity, that. That money, possessions, stuff, material things, uh, 
fear of others and approval and appreciation, uh, worries about whether I might get into trouble or go to prison, all that kind of thing, all of that stuff gets notched down as you meet with God the Holy Spirit. These are less important. They become less in their significance to these people here as they meet with God in his spirit. See that? When I, I don't know about you guys, but when I backslide, when, I, when I'm sort of spiritually cold, then money gets more real to me. Uh, having that next thing, that goes up a notch. Like, oh, I, oh, I do need that, actually. I do need that house, or I do need that holiday, or I do need those things, or I, I am worried about that thing, or the future is starting to bother me a bit more. It goes up, starts to ramp up in importance as I get spiritually colder. But the more I experience God, the Holy Spirit, those things go, oh, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. That, uh, actually, that really does not matter at all. That's what happens here. So there we have it. Three things to notice in the life of these world-changing Christians post-resurrection. A commitment to God and the gospel. Come what may. I don't care what happens to me next. I'm going to speak these words of Christ. Number two, these are people who know God personally, right? They pray in a way that has heard the Lord and they're responding to him. And number three are people who experience the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit who makes things real. We're going to come to the table. I'm going to pray now. We'll come to the table. It can be our prayer. Brothers and sisters, this can be our prayer. You're like, Spirit of God, would you meet us here? Here in this bread and wine, Lord Jesus, be real to us here. I want to know these things. Don't you want to feel less bothered by all the things that we often list as really high on our priority? I want to be less bothered about those things. Lord, do it. Do it. As you come forward to take bread and wine, say, Lord, do it. Make it less real for me. Make you more real for me. Let's pray that together. Let's pray. Father God, we pray as we just dwell for a few moments on these scriptures together, having done that, and as we come to receive now in just a moment, we want to be able to um, see the world as you see it, to, to know that in all the things and stuff that we can be so easily bothered by, those would just fade fade away and you Lord Jesus would be in sharp relief that spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit would once again work in us this morning and make him real more real Lord help us too to have that personal knowledge of you personally hearing your word spoken to us so that it's meaningful so that, Father, we'll, we'll serve you. We'll serve you, Lord Jesus. We'll speak for you and we'll offer our lives to you. Come what may. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.